0: We're faced with struggles, and we want to get away from the problem. That makes perfect sense many times, but sometimes that's not what God wants. Sometimes God wants us to face the problems. Abraham, at the time he was Abram, before God had revised his name, he did what we're all prone to do, and that is seek relief from difficulties rather than profit from the trial, from the things that are bothering us.
1: This is Cross Reference Radio with our pastor and teacher, Rick Gaston. Rick is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Mechanicsville. Pastor Rick is currently teaching through the book of Acts. Please stay with us after today's message to hear more information about Cross Reference Radio, specifically how you can get a free copy of this teaching. But for now, let's join Pastor Rick in the book of Acts, chapter 13, as he begins his message Prophecy has a Point.
0: Acts chapter 13. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when he had fulfilled, when they had fulfilled, all that was written concerning him they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Prophecy has a point. First, well, at least my intended meaning, first is uh, it's not to be a hobby. I mean, it can have qualities about it that match having a hobby. You like to do it, you try to do it as often as you can, but prophecy is not meant to be a hobby, It is supposed to penetrate the life. It has a point to it, and it has a point on it. It is to tell us things that God wants us to hear so that we could be more Christ-like and more usable for the kingdom. And unfortunately, I think a lot of folks have turned prophecy just into that, a hobby. You can avoid a lot of conviction by just talking about what's going to happen one day and uh, sort of neglect the things that you need to hear right now. To hear the prophecies that Paul is preaching to these, uh, his Jewish audience and some Gentiles also, he was saying to them, it's time to act on these prophecies. These things about the coming Messiah have been fulfilled, many of them, and you got to do something with it. It's not enough to just read, the, hear the scripture read, and, and go ooh and ah, and, and it doesn't get into the life. Paul said this, that there were those who were always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They had just made themselves lifetime students and not servants. Just always learning, but never getting the point. Uh, you, You cannot, or it's not advisable, to just read the Bible, study the Bible, be around sermons of the Bible, and not digest any of it. You have to digest it. You have to give it time. You have to think it through. Meditate on these things. I have uh, enjoyed this about getting older in the faith, maturing in the faith. Uh, Study has its time for sure. But to ponder what you've just studied, to think about it through the day, to meditate on it, a very special part of our faith. And there is a lot of fruit to be had. And so, again, prophecy has a point. And and this is what Paul is, is doing before us with his congregation, listening to him preach. He's saying, Christ has come. The prophets have spoken about this very thing. Now, what are you going to do with it? And so we look now at verse 13. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos... They came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Well, from the island of Cyprus, uh, a 170-mile trip with ship and on foot, a rough traveling. In fact, by the t- time Paul gets to the region of Galatia, he's likely very sick physically. And we're not, we're not told that he mentioned, uh, ministered in Perga, He does on the way back, we get that in Acts chapter 14, and and because he was sick, that might have been part of it. Mark, who it is said here in verse 13, departed from them. Well, he's 430 miles from home. He's a young man, uh, likely in his uh, latter 20s, early 30s. Luke is careful to protect Mark in that he omits the reasons why Mark left. We can deduce from the argument that will take place later between Paul and Barnabas that Paul did not feel his reasons for abandoning them were justifiable. Was it the food? It would have been for me. I like I can't eat this stuff. I'm going home. Maybe it was the peril of bandits or of, of travel, uh, again, the seas and those riggedy boats that uh, they, they traveled in, at least from from our perspective. Maybe it was the climate. Maybe the customs just got to him. A combination of all of them, just being away from home. Or maybe he too was unhealthy because of uh, maybe the water that they were drinking or something like that. Unlike Demas, who does leave Paul later on in Paul's ministry, we know that Mark will be restored. So he leaves them and he, he departs Ministry is too hard for him at this point, and he heads home. But Demas, he leaves, and we never hear of him again. And this John Mark, he had three dynamos in his life, three men that invested in him, Barnabas, Paul, and Peter. Imagine having that a part of your faith. Uh, In the early years of my ministry, I spent a lot of time ministering to some men, And it just, you know, wasn't rewarding. It was at the time, but then how things turned out, it was disappointing. And you you can't let that uh, get to you. Here, Mark, he made the most out of it. And as I think about, you know, when we're faced with struggles and we want to get away from the problem, uh, that makes perfect sense many times. But sometimes, That's not what God wants. Sometimes God wants us to face the problems. Abraham, at the time he was Abram, before God had revised his name, he did what we're all prone to do, and that is seek relief from difficulties rather than profit from the trial, from the things that are bothering us. Genesis chapter 12, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land. Well, God never told him to go down to Egypt. And Abraham was a man that we know to be led by God. Abraham, depart from your father's house and get away from your people to a land that I will show you. And he he went out going. He knew not where because he's being led by the spirit. But in this case, to get away from the famine, he decides to go to Egypt. He went to Egypt in his own strength and accomplished nothing. In fact, he picked up some baggage that he would have been better off without in the way of Hagar and other difficulties. It was not a good trip. And so, yeah, he wanted to get away from the troubles, but he had no leading to do this, and he should have remained where he were, and these lessons exist for our edification. Here, Paul, he is uh, being led by the Spirit, facing difficulties, and Mark, uh, he says i 'm out of this verse fourteen, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Well, this is not the Antioch in Syria; this is one that is further inland in Turkey and uh, one of the uh, Seleucus, one of Alexander the Greats uh, one of his generals seleucus he uh, He built this city, and there are no less than 16 cities named Antioch. He named them after his father, Antiochus. And so you may come across that quite a bit uh, in history uh, if you look at the things that were taking place in those days. But for us, Galatians chapter 1, to the churches in Galatia, because this is now the region of Galatia. Galatia was a territory, uh, not a single church. But there are no less than four churches that we read about in this Galatian region. Antioch of Pisidia, that where Paul and Barnabas have now arrived, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. Paul did a lot of ministry there. In fact, he was stoned in one of these cities. And as I mentioned, he may have been sick when he arrived here, Galatians 4.13, Writing to the churches in that region, you know that because of my physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. And so he gets there and he's sick. Uh, he makes a comment: "You would have, you know, taken out your eyes and give them to me." And it was probably a figure of speech, meaning you you guys were just so loving, so caring for me when I was there. Later, when he gets back after this trip to this region that we're now considering in Acts thirteen. He writes a letter addressing the corruption of the gospel message that had then followed his, his time there. He and Barnabas, others had come behind to undo Paul's work. And so in the Galatian letter he writes, you, <clears throat> pardon me, Galatians 1.6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So there, Paul does all this work in the region of Galatia, and then Satan goes behind him and does his work too, and that's why we have the Galatian letter. And the Galatian letter is, is not um, uh, he is not making them feel comfortable. He asks them, "Who has bewitched you? You foolish Galatians, having begun in the spirit, you now being made perfect in the flesh." It's such a rookie move that is carried out by seasoned Christians often. They you start out in the spirit of God, and then they I didn't get uh, tired of waiting for God, tired of doing without, and they begin to try to do things in their own strength. Uh, they, they, they work in not at the spirit, but the flesh. And it's, uh, you get a lot of visible things done that way. You just don't get much spiritual fruit from it. Well, it says here in verse 14, And went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Well, the Sabbath, the Saturday for us, is when the Jews would assemble. Uh, he tried to always begin at the synagogues. It makes perfect sense. It was a rational decision. It should have been an easy fit. That's why it's so, so rational. They had the scripture, the Old Testament. And again, no New Testament yet, not not in print. But they, there was a New Testament being orally uh, spoken, but it just, again, was not... Uh, assembled into what we know as the Bible as we have it today. But given their knowledge of the prophets who foretold about Messiah, and they told a lot about him, it it should have been, a, you know, just a, a great success. Imagine going somewhere where there are a lot of Christians, but there's no Bible teaching. And you go there and you say, I'm, I'm going to start teaching verse-by-verse, expository teaching, and they're going to love it. And you get there, and they don't. (laughs) They kind of turn on you for it because you start smashing their icons. You start going against their habits that are outside of Scripture and often contrary to the will of God. And Paul is facing that here. In Romans chapter 1, he wrote to that church years later, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also the Greek. For the Jew first. it made Again, they were the custodians of the Old Testament scripture, which the New Testament was built upon. You know, we talk about an imperf- imperfect translations. All of them are. Christ used an imperfect translation of the Old Testament. I mean, largely, it was the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation from the Hebrew. And so this is not something that should unnerve you. You should learn to understand how special uh, it is to have the word of God preserved over multiple cultures for uh, thousands of years, counting the Old Testament, and still make its points, all of them. They're inescapable. Uh, It is quite an accomplishment. But here, this logical step, which in life, in serving Christ, logical steps do not always produce logical conclusions. And it is because of people. Uh, it, it just makes you scratch your head sometimes. Uh, you don't want to become self-righteous and judgmental and harsh, but you must, you must face it. You can't sweep it under the rug. It is frustrating when things that make sense fail because of people and the people you're trying to help. Well, you got to grow up and uh, just focus on what God is doing and the fruit that is coming out of it. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I, for a long time I've been preaching when it's time to go to heaven and you turn your armor in, it should have dents and scuffs and burn marks, Sweat, blood, tears—all of that should be on that armor. Uh, It is uh, certainly that kind of a a life, a situation where we have the good news in the midst of a cursed world. But I I never thought ministry would beat you up so much, and and yet, and yet, the joy of (laughs) ha ha! I'm still standing, punk. I mean, so, you know, you've got to balance these things. And it's, it's okay. It's okay to tell God, I'm sick and tired of some of this stuff. And God will say, yeah, and what? <laughs> because he's not, hey, look, I don't know. He He's always encouraged me, but I don't remember him ever babying me. I don't remember God once, now, now, it'll be okay. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, well, you know. I never promised you a rose garden. So anyway, back to, oh, I'm sorry. Does anybody here think that ministry should be nothing but fun? You who work in the children's ministry and you got that one little kid? (laughs) (laughs) Or or maybe just, you know, somewhere else you serve in the church and it's just something that, you know, oh, man, I don't want to do this. Well, that is ministry. That's what it looks like. Rejoice in that. Now, here's how I rejoice when, when I'm faced with things I don't like. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to him. I love this stuff. I love it. There are certain things I love about ministry, and there are certain other things that I wish I didn't have to do. But that's okay. I know who I work for, and I know he's always going to be with me because he always has been with me. And uh, you, you and I are both encouraged. Anyway, back to verse 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. I like how that's phrased. Well, the Jews had a schedule of reading in the synagogues, and still do many of them, where they try to read through the Torah, the first five books of the law, uh, every year. And at the end of the year, it repeats itself. And uh, the rulers of the synagogue were to keep this on on course and maintain order. And they would um, invite after someone read a passage of the law, they would invite someone to come up and uh, expound upon it, to, to talk about it. Well, here they've got two rabbis, at least two learned men in the law, Barnabas and Paul. Paul certainly a rabbi. Their garb likely would have indicated this to them. And they they asked them to come up and share from what was just read. And it was likely out of Exodus or Deuteronomy. And we know that because of where Paul starts off with his uh, exposition. So now, verse 16, Then Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. Well, I really like this. I'll start from the bottom of the verse first. You who fear God, those were the Gentiles who feared God, but did not go so far, feared the God of the Jews, Yahweh, but did not go as far as becoming circumcised. They were receptive to the truth, that this was the creator. They were sick of the idolatry and all of its junk, and so they were looking for truth. And these are the ones that are actually going to to get the point of the prophecies that Paul is going to uh, bring up in his sermon. Luke was not, now here's what I I find fascinating about this verse. Luke was not present with them at this time. He got this information secondhand. Well, in other words, Paul may have told him Barnabas, others there would have told him about this. And what stands out is then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand. Why would he include that? Why is that important to put in? Evidently, this is an outstanding gesture. Some eyewitness retold this story to Luke. Someone recalled the moment. Someone was moved by all that took place, and it began with this gesture of the hand. They could still see Paul do this. Luke is known for his careful research. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, he says, look, I looked into this stuff and i've I, eyewitnesses and he you know he's a he's a physician he' is a medical doctor, and this little detail preserved by the Holy Spirit, this snapshot in time, has a point I'm not sure what that point is yet. maybe you can meditate on it, consider it, and come up with something but i but it stands out to me because uh, all of God's word is vital uh, and it is there for us. To ponder. So he begins this message with a gesture and uh, verse 17. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. And so he's talking about the Exodus. Again, likely that was where the reading was in the synagogue that Saturday. And he is emphasizing Israel's appointment as the people of God, as the bringers of the light, the custodians of the word, why he starts at the synagogues whenever he can. And the Gentiles, of course, they're listening to this. They're not resisting this. They're not saying, what about us? They want the truth of God. And they're not protesting about how God does a thing because there was nothing to protest. And so beginning with this history of the Jews, He demonstrates, Paul is demonstrating that the preaching of Christ is not just something they took out of thin air. He's not a Johnny come lately. He's not a self-appointed Messiah. He's saying our Bible has talked about this man. He's going to lay it out more so that they understand why he is making this connection. He is going on to say that this man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is the Messiah, and he has fulfilled the things, many of the things that the prophets have said. Well, Jesus himself said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And that he did, and that he is still doing. <clears throat> so, ensuring that they understood that he is introducing an individual that is qualified to follow, unlike anybody else. Again, their Messiah whom their forefathers and the prophets spoke about, wrote about, preached about, and they knew those scriptures. They knew those scriptures by heart. They were a part of their entire lives, from the time they were very small, even to their uh, till to, to, to they left this life. They knew these things. And so he's going to spell it out for them. Jesus is the Christ that our scriptures prophesied about, verse 18. Now, for a time, about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. I I like how that's phrased, too. He put up with them because God puts up with us because he's merciful, not because we're so special. The funny thing about not being so special, the funny thing about uh, humility is that there will be times where you won't feel so humble, (laughs) when you will feel better than others, or at least tempted to, and uh, it's an ongoing work. God's tolerance is God's grace in action. And uh, how about us? We're supposed to be Christ like. Christ is God the Son. How tolerant are we with others who need grace? Proverbs 19 The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Yeah, there's just things that just, you know, just leave it alone. Just take the hit. It's okay. And learn how to do that the right way. I mean, there are some transgressions you cannot overlook. They have to be dealt with. But then there are lesser ones. Uh, and, and they're best oftentimes just dismissed. The Jews, they boasted about their rich spiritual, spiritual heritage. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophets. They boasted about these things.